Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. You know, sometimes I talk about having a friend of the podcast on the show, but this week I have not just a friend, but I have a pioneer of podcasting here at Idaho Education News, Clark Corbin, who launched the Extra Credit podcast with me several years ago, is now writing for the Idaho Capital Sun. He uh, joined that startup earlier this year. We catch up this week to talk about politics, the governor's race, and Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's indoctrination task force. Here's what he had to say. Well, Clark, thanks for joining me again for a podcast. And, you know, I always like to make sure that our guests feel comfortable, at, at ease, at home. So, you know, I just want to kind of set the stage here. You know, bring back old times, you know, bring you know, flashback from the past here. I, I really appreciate that. That's making me kind of nostalgic. And, Kevin, I have to say that I'm really happy to be back here to help you get back on track to being the five-star podcast that I know that you have within you. So happy to be back at it's, it's been a while, but this is fun. No, it's good to have you back. And, you know, hopefully, you know, mother of brats, whoever that is, who uh, gave me a one star iTunes review will, will listen and feel like the, the show is worth giving, uh, giving it another shot. But, you know, it feels like, you know, every summer we talk about how there's going to be a slow summer, the elusive slow summer. And this has not really been it because... You know, you've been covering the governor's race. I've been kind of dabbling with the governor's race. But, you know, give me your sense of what you've seen in recent events. I mean, we were talking before we pressed record about, uh, you know, your your long afternoon of watching Ammon Bundy uh, announce his candidacy for governor and you know, Janice McGeehan's announcement uh, a month earlier. Give me a sense of what you're you're feeling and sensing from what you what you saw at those events. I mean, it's been interesting, and I haven't I haven't been at it as long as you have, Kevin. But it, it strikes me as it's especially intense and especially early. Um, you know, we still are. Um, you know, we still a ways off uh, from the May 2022 uh, primary. Uh, we're still a ways off from next year's legislative session in so many ways, and we're certainly a ways off uh, from the November 2022 general election. And so it feels like it started early. It feels like it's pretty intense uh, right out of the gate. We've gotten these interesting races. We've gotten these quirky races. Um, we've got a bunch of candidates throwing their hat in the ring. I, th I think there's all kinds of different potential storylines, uh, but it really does seem like the far right, the, mo the most conservative wing uh, is really pushing all in uh, to make 2022 a, a big election year, a big power grab uh, for them. That's not new. We've always talked about sort of the battle for the soul of the Republican Party. Uh, during the Obama years, we talked about the rise of the Tea Party. And so this isn't new, but it really does seem like with some of the candidates on the docket and some of the existing statewide officials who are running for higher office, it really does seem like this is a big push with the far right going all in, up and down the ballot, and we still are, what, eight months away from the filing period opening yeah, yeah. next February? Uh, a, a long way to go. And that doesn't mean that everyone who is making noise today will be on the ballot uh, come the general election. We know things will change. We know there will be more surprises. There will be even more candidates getting in the ring, but not everyone who's making noise today is guaranteed to be on the ballot. But it, it seems early and intense, and it really does seem like up and down the ballot, 
far right candidates uh, are really making 2022 their year. So it's it's a lot to cover. Uh, we're not getting that elusive summer break. And I think you alluded to it, but we always talk about that. Like, oh man, the legislative session's over, school's out. We're gonna have a nice little summer to collect our thoughts. And it never really happens, but this year especially it's not happening. Um, with all the political races heating up, you know, still barely halfway into 2021 at this point, still only eight months away from the last big election. Right. And let's talk a little bit about these challengers to Governor Little, these these challengers who are all courting that right wing vote. I mean, it's easy to sort of dismiss the Ammon Bundy campaign as a novelty or, or a joke even. I mean, you know, here's a guy convicted last week on a couple of misdemeanor charges stemming from the special session. Last August, he can't even set foot in the state house. He wants a job literally in the building that he cannot uh, now uh, enter legally. It's easy to sort of, you know, brush it off, but is that a mistake? Is that an oversimplification? Uh, I, I mean, I'm not here to like predict how the election is going to shake out, shake out ultimately, but I think it would be a mistake not to pay attention to what's going on. And we can talk a little bit about that. I was out on June 19th at Kleiner Park in, in Meridian for Ammon Bundy's announcement. And there were several hundred people there. Uh, the campaign uh, said it was 800 people. Um, they were all spread out in a huge area around the bandstand uh, at this park. Uh, and it is safe to say that there were hundreds of people there uh, that day, more people than were at Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's State House rally kicking off her campaign, part of the three city event on May 19th, uh, the month earlier. So there were hundreds of people out there. Um, it's obvious when you look at Bundy's website uh, that there's professional people involved. They had professional sound and video production people at the Bundy kickoff event June 19th. He had his family out there, his brothers. He had his father, Cliven Bundy, who made himself, who made a name for himself mm -hmm. at the standoff in Nevada that Ammon was also at with his brothers. They brought in hundreds of pounds of beef uh, from the Bundy Ranch in Nevada and fed everybody. And it, like, I know everybody knows this, it's extremely hot all throughout Idaho right now. It's extremely hot that afternoon in Meridian and hundreds of people stayed for hours through Bundy's kickoff event. I, I don't know what that means. I, I don't know what that's gonna mean ultimately for the election. Um, but, I mean, there was quite a, a critical, there was a, a good crowd there, right. larger than Ed Key's crowd for Lieutenant Governor, larger than specifically the McGeehan Idaho State House rally in Boise. Uh, there were hundreds of people there. Uh, and, and there's obviously uh, some professional folks involved with the campaign. And so it's easy to say, you know, oh, this guy isn't even registered to vote himself. He sort of had that false start filing his initial campaign paperwork because he had initially pointed himself treasurer of his political campaign. You can't do that. You actually have to be a registered voter to be a political treasurer, even though the Constitution doesn't say anything about being a registered voter to run for governor. Obviously, he's banned from the State House and has been arrested multiple times in the last year at the Idaho State House. Um, but I, I think it would be a mistake to, to ignore what's going on, and I think it would be a, a mistake to ignore 
these races and but i mean like spoiler alert they're, they're not being ignored and they won't be ignored um so it's been interesting what, what i mean like what's your read on this obviously he's a different kind of candidate than i've seen i mean i, I i've seen rex rammel's campaign years ago um but ammon's a different kind of candidate than, than we've seen before and, and if you get at some of the things and you wrote about it off of the campaign kickoff i mean some of the the, the things that bundy is talking about in his in his platform and his in his priorities in terms of tax policy abortion policy i mean they are they are extreme hardline positions yeah things that it's really difficult to see how those would be implemented he pledged i mean that was the big point of his event was to unrail his platform on june 19th and so maybe it's more of a developed platform than than uh like some of the other candidates have put out but it talks about issuing an executive order on day one uh making abortion illegal. It's difficult to see how that would work. He talked about uh, eliminating all forms of tax besides the sales tax. Uh, He didn't talk about how the state would replace that revenue to maintain uh, the kind of services that we have today. I know I just did a big story about the state of Idaho beginning the new fiscal year with a record surplus of you know, likely in excess of $809 million. We may know by the end of this week or next. But if you look at Ammon Bundy wants to get rid of two of the three legs of the famous three-legged stool, Uh, the income tax and the personal income tax and the the corporate income tax. Those Mm -hmm. are two of the big three sources of state revenue there. Also get rid of the property tax, which affects the locals and affects the schools. And so it's not clear what kind of, it's not clear how any of those things would work. Um, they're hardline positions. Um, yeah, uh, but it, it's, uh, it, the campaign's off and running and it's, and it's wild and it's only gonna get more interesting. Uh, especially, I mean, like there's all kinds of things about this governor's race that are fascinating, especially looking at the rivalry between current Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan and current Governor Brad Little and some of the things that have gone on there this summer. And I feel like, you know, obviously there's no love lost between the governor and the lieutenant governor. And I think it's easy to fall into the storyline that this is going to be a showdown between Little and McGee. And I've written that, you know, know, kind of offhandedly in news stories. But there's a lot to shake out between here and May. We've talked about Ammon Mundy. Ed Humphreys is another candidate uh, courting that right-wing vote, uh, really much uh, less of a known quantity than Janice McGeehan or even Ammon Bundy. He's 31 years old. Uh, I don't believe he's ever held elective office, but you know, I read the Sunshine Reports and I look at the numbers. I mean, he has uh, started raising some money. I mean, he's raised north of $100,000 early in the campaign relative to how uh, some of the other campaigns are, are raising money. I mean, that's that's noteworthy. I mean, that doesn't necessarily translate into support, but it does give you a sense that he's trying to run a serious campaign. So you've got all of these candidates, especially to the right, maybe going after the same wing of the electorate. I mean, it's really hard to predict primaries anyway, and it's really hard to predict them almost a year out. Yeah, it's, it's super hard to predict them. We don't know how many people are going to be uh, in the Republican primary. And the more people you get in uh, the race, it, more interesting things it, it can happen uh, at that point um, where seemingly a smaller margin than you would uh, 
normally think about could propel someone out of a Republican primary, at which point they'd be really in the driver's seat uh, looking ahead at that November general election. But I think it has to do with how many candidates are in the race and where the race goes from here. I think Bets our friend Betsy Russell uh, from the Idaho Press had an article just the other day about 11 candidates total uh, have either taken some step or declared or filed initial paperwork all across the spectrum in that governor's race. And we expect more uh, from there. I mean, uh, incumbent Governor Brad Little has not officially announced yet. I've talked to him about it. Uh, he said he's still thinking about it. He says people shouldn't be surprised by his ultimate decision. I do think of it that ultimately he will be running, but he hasn't he hasn't announced officially. Um, and so it, it's going to be an interesting race. Yeah, the early the early line was the challenge from the Lieutenant Governor McGeehan mounting a challenge to the right against incumbent Brad, Governor Brad Little. But um, the more people get in the race and, and the more money gets involved, uh, it's it really hard to say where it would go from there and who the, you know, who all is going to be involved, what it's going to take, what the race is going to look like, who's going to be active and up for a statewide campaign versus who is just maybe testing the waters or saber rattling right now. Uh, so a lot still to be written and, and discussed about this race. And I know that'll keep us busy. And, and I think it's a good way to maybe segue into uh, Janice McGee and, and the indoctrination task force, because you don't have to scrape too far beneath the surface here to see that what McGeehan is trying to do with her task force is carve out an issue that she can use to differentiate herself from Governor Little. I mean, she's been very clear about that. She's been very overt about it. You've sat in on the first two meetings of the task force. What yeah. have been your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, it, it, this task force is an interesting animal because it's also unlike different task forces that we've seen before. It wasn't created by the legislature or the governor. Uh, it's really not a governing body that can, pardon me, that can make decisions or enact policy. But we do know that they are likely to come up with recommendations. And we do know that the conservative legislative branch of our state government is going to be very interested in whatever report or findings that this task force comes up with. And, and we know that because the early aspect of the critical race theory debate and the social justice debate ground the 2021 legislative session to an absolute halt, mm -hmm. sidetracked and killed off massive education budgets, uh, really uh, <laughs> ground everything to a halt. Yeah. And so we know it's going to be um, we know it's going to be influential going forward, but also, like, I can't get away from the fact that it each of the meetings that I've seen so far, the agenda and the speakers have all been conservative Republicans who uh, who agree with the task force's stated mission out of the gate that they're going to root out critical race theory and Marxism and socialism and social justice uh, teachings and um, and it does seem like they have given this gigantic platform to three people who three people at this point who are running for higher office Lieutenant Governor McGeehan uh, State Representative Priscilla Giddings a Republican from Whitebird who is now running for Lieutenant Governor mm -hmm. and Republican Superintendent of Public Instruction candidate Brandon Durst who got along uh, a spell at the podium during the most recent task force meeting in June. So they really haven't engaged with anybody on the other side of the debate. And I think it has been notable that they're essentially talking about 
I mean, they haven't really defined in my mind everything that they're trying to root out. They haven't given a ton of concrete examples of what they're talking about or where it exists in Idaho classrooms, but they really haven't engaged with any outside uh, professional teachers, professional uh, educators and college professors. They have not engaged with people of color from outside the task force to ask their views about how race and racism should be taught in schools. And so it does seem like um, the task force came out of the gate not trying to investigate something, but they already had their conclusion in mind that this is taking place in Idaho and they want to root it out and call it out. And I think there was kind of a telling moment that a lot of people on social media latched on to during the June task force meeting um, where the young people were wearing the T-shirts in front of the camera. That Some of the T-shirts said things like, keep our, your hands off of our education. Right. Uh, Lieutenant Governor McGeehan asked for the meeting to go at ease. She asked for the students to move. They didn't really say anything at all, and they didn't move. And then at one point, Lieutenant McGovern, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan said, this is not a dialogue. We're not having a dialogue here. And I think a lot of people latched onto that as kind of like a telling, uh, almost like a theme from the whole indoctrination task force to this point. They have not taken any public. They've had about nine hours worth of meetings, and they have not taken any public testimony other than from people who reached out to the organizers of the task force to request time on the agenda specifically. And it felt telling as we watched the task force meeting uh, in late June, it seemed like a lot of the time at the task force meeting was spent explaining why various people weren't there. I mean, there was this long explanation about how the Idaho School Boards Association had a representative who stepped down, how the State Board of Education was invited and wasn't there, how the State Department of Education and Sherry Ibarra were invited, but but they weren't there. I mean, it, and it felt like it really illustrated that this is a task force that's operating outside of the traditional education groups and almost operating in defiance of the traditional education groups. Right. Yeah. No, I definitely, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that's exactly right, that there's a lot of questions about who's involved and who's not involved. Uh, but yeah, the State Board of Education, the State Department of Education, um, it, yeah, the, I, they talked about Superintendent of Public Instruction, Sherry Barra was traveling at that time, unable to participate. Uh, the Idaho Education Association, I believe they've uh, they've issued statements yeah, saying that they offered publicly. to have members, to have professional educators uh, serve on the task force and uh, were, not, were not included at, at this point. So yeah, they're, they're operating in their own world outside of the existing education environment. And, and I know that that's something that we saw over the last 10 years that makes it extremely difficult on educators, on parents, on administrators, on school board members, when you have these groups that uh, that create policy, whether it's a legislative thing or whatever, you have these groups that create policy or push changes without actively involving the stakeholders. We saw, you know, kind of in the wake of the big students come first repeal, mm -hmm. the, the, the stakeholders come together and start speaking in a unified voice. And it creates problems in the real world when you push forward these policies without working with educators, without working with the schools, without understanding, quite frankly, some of the current education landscape. Um, it creates resentment and hard feelings and uncertainty. And that was something that I just heard over and over and over again 
and comment offered at more public uh, type policy meetings, uh, that that's been a real concern over the years. And, and it certainly looks like we're halfway into it, have had no public comment and kind of worked outside and around the existing education system. Um, and, and a lot of people like connected with the Idaho Freedom Foundation uh, are involved with the task force. Uh, Anna Miller, one of their employees uh, and a registered lobbyist, I believe, is, is a task force member. Um, Professor Scott, Scott Jenner mm-hmm. has been involved with the Freedom Foundation as in some capacity as like an academic advisor, and he's written numerous papers for the Freedom Foundation. They played uh, they played a lengthy segment from Wayne Hoffman's podcast uh, during and the had, most recent hearing. And you had this visual of defund education. And you had this visual. Yeah, tweet out the picture of you know you had this you know video image of Wayne Hoffman, uh, you know, and his podcast, you know, s- you know, superimposed on the big screen behind the uh, the task force. It was uh, it was a fairly uh, fairly interesting visual. Oh, it definitely looked like Wayne because it was his. Yeah, it was a video on a very large screen, blown up, and it looked like Wayne was overseeing the whole thing and looking over them. And it was actually kind of funny because they were just transitioning. One speaker had finished talking. It may have been former. State Senator Brandon Durst, yeah, maybe so. somebody else, but somebody else was just wrapping up, and they were switching computers, and they played just a brief introductory point of the Wayne Hoffman podcast, and then turned it off right away. And so I thought it was like a glitch, like someone had been listening to that on their personal computer and didn't mean to play it. And I actually tweeted that out, like, "Oh, this was kind of a funny moment." But no, we were actually just getting geared up for a longer presentation to queue up a fuller so video. But yeah, it was mean, never a dull moment in the Idaho podcast wars that just right yeah the, yeah the Idaho podcast wars are alive and well again thanks to me coming back but yeah that we've talked about the freedom foundation wayne hoffman published a op-ed piece saying that he doesn't believe the state should be in the public education business i worked on some stories this spring and this summer uh where i obtained some letters that the idaho freedom foundation sent to potential donors where they were taking where the freedom foundation was taking credit uh, for these disruptions in the education system and for pushing forward House Bill 377 and having that passed and for, for basically cutting funding uh, at the higher education colleges and universities in the name of you know social justice teachings and critical race theory. And so the Freedom Foundation is heavily involved, uh, not just behind the scenes, but they're very much out in the open yeah, and front really of the scenes with this new task force. And, and politically, it sets up a collision course as we head into the end of August. Uh, this is the, the timetable where the task force is planning to have its last meeting and come out with any recommendations at the same time, the same week that the State Board of Education is going to be meeting in Pocatello and is likely to take a look at a diversity and inclusion policy that it came out with a couple of weeks ago that is already uh drawn some criticism from from conservative republicans i mean the the political collision is is inevitable here and it's going to really come to the fore you know just by the end of the summer you know just when our slow summer comes to an end and things start to pick up 
No, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. The the new president of the State Board of Education, Kurt Liebig, uh, has issued a few statements at this point right now uh, saying that he has found no evidence of indoctrination in Idaho public schools. Yeah, and, he's taken on a pretty Liebig, strong tone. He, he's, yeah, and Liebig and Governor Little have said that uh, it's dangerous to make these strong accusations uh, with, uh, and to paint in broad brushes using words like indoctrination to describe our school system. They talked about how dangerous and how harmful that that can be to paint in those broad brushes and use strong words like indoctrination when they have not made the case thus far in the task force that there is anything widespread going on throughout Idaho's public school system. I mean, I think the Freedom Foundation pointed out that there were like 14 educators who sound, who signed a pledge uh, to teach critical race theory regardless of any restrictions from the state. I mean, 14 teachers out of 20,000 in the state of Idaho. Uh, I, I mean, I think to me, more work would need to be done uh, to make any kind of a case that anything widespread uh, is going on in our schools. Well, that's where we leave it right about now, but <laughs> we're going to have to probably get back together and do a re-re-reunion uh, podcast when, when news picks up uh, later in the year. Yeah, I know it's something that we'll continue to cover. I'm planning to follow the task force the rest of the summer. I know you are. Um, you guys have done great reporting. Yeah, uh, some well. of the behind-the-scenes stuff about who some of these appointments are uh, with task force members, and I know you guys will continue to cover that. There's uh, been a considerable amount of fact-checking just in trying to figure out who's speaking and where these folks uh, are aligned with. I mean, it's been a uh, it's been a process. Yeah, there's a couple of people who said, in fact, at least one woman said she had just moved to Idaho and, and got a seat on the task force and it wasn't clear what her background was or, or, or why she had this seat on the task force. We really don't know that much about not all of the members, but a few members. So it's, I know you guys have your work cut out for you um, all summer and, and I know I'll be following it uh, too for the Idaho Capital Sun and I'd be happy to come back anytime and, and talk politics or, or talk about the task force. No, it's always fun. We'll have to compare notes again uh, real soon, Clark. Have a great summer, and thanks for being uh, on the podcast this week. Have a great summer. Uh, enjoy the rest of the summer and, and the rest of the Euro tournament, and uh, we'll be in touch. Again, that was Clark Corbin, who writes now for Idaho Capital Sun, covering uh, state politics and state government. Uh, we pick up quite a bit of Idaho Capital Sun's content uh, at idahoednews.org, and they pick up some of our stuff as well. But I would encourage you to bookmark their site and check it out for the latest uh, state government and state politics news. Their address is idahocapitalsun.com. In the meantime, I hope you continue to check in at idahoednews.org every day as we cover the latest in education news, education politics, education policy. Even in the middle of summer, things continue to happen, and we will have the latest at uh, idahoednews.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. We'll uh, tweet out links to our latest stories and any bulletins as news breaks. You can follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. And you can check back here next Friday for another edition of the podcast. In the meantime, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week. <laughs>